be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, and we will begin with a reading from Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. This is God's holy word from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed the splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Please turn also to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. That's our text for this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Begin reading from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 for a bit of context. This also is God's holy word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May we go to our God together in prayer and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our almighty God, we thank you, Father, for this uh, sermon, for uh, this beautiful Lord's Day that you've given us. Father, we pray that you would guide us in our thoughts, that we would delight in you, that we would trust that we indeed are raised up with Jesus that we have been made anew, that we are reigning with him, and that we are the unworthy recipients of your grace, your immeasurable grace. Father, we thank you that you give us so great a salvation through your son, Jesus, that he alone is our righteousness, he alone is our hope. Father, we pray that many would come to hear and understand the free offer of the gospel, that you are exceedingly good and that you delight when sinners come to faith and repentance. 
We thank you for your provision for us through your Son. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that we uh, would trust in you more and that we would enjoy uh, the bounty of your grace. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Here, uh, hearing about um, a, a lady who has a significant podcast, she spoke about how uh, in the past she was constantly fighting for a seat at the table. So this is the uh, idiomatic seat at the table. And for her, it was fighting the earthly battles, the social battles of our time. But as she came to understand more of the good news of the gospel and what we have in Jesus Christ, she soon realized that we already have a seat at the table. In fact, we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that this is true for every Christian. So is it the case that you're fighting for some kind of seat at the table that you uh, desire and that you demand some type of power or authority or rule? Are you trying to get back at someone uh, that you had it lorded over you and that now you want to lord it over someone else that you want to flip the tables? Here, whatever situation you are in, I hope and pray that this good news of the gospel would be good news to you. That in Jesus Christ, as uh, his co-heirs, that we already have this seat at the table. That we have a seat at the table before our enemies that God has spread for us. That we have uh, the authority and power shared with Jesus that he alone is the one who brings us to this seat and that we have true rest in him, that we have victory over death and our enemies and that we have power and authority in which we rule with him and we look forward to that for an eternity. Here, we think about the presentation of the book of Ephesians that the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and how they were those who were once superstitious people. They were once idol-worshipping people. And yet at the same time, we're told about the glorious Savior in Jesus Christ and His beloved bride, the church. That this is the mystery, that those who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here, we have in Ephesians 1, perhaps a simple summary of Ephesians 1, is that God has planned salvation. And then in Ephesians 2, we have the execution of this plan, the execution of the plan of salvation for his people. So we're here, uh, right in the middle of Ephesians 2, and our text, Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7, here we learn that your union with Christ in his death and resurrection also includes the honor, rule, and eternal enjoyment of him. Your union with Christ in his death and resurrection also includes the honor, rule, and eternal enjoyment of him. We'll look at this in three points. The first is raised with Christ. Second, reigning with Christ. And third, relishing Christ. So here we, we have the first point, raised with Christ, in the first part of verse 6. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here we think about uh, 
the context of this passage regarding what you and I were before Christ. Earlier in chapter 2, he, he gives in the first three verses that brief summary about our life before Christ. Here in verse 1, that you were dead in trespasses and sins in what you once walked. That we followed the course of this world, living the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That we were following Satan, the prince and the power of the air, and he is the one who is at work in the sons of disobedience. But our Lord Jesus calls us to a far better life. He calls us to new life in Jesus Christ. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, we're told that by God's power he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And we see a very similar pattern, the repetition in, in verse 6 here, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That we're, we are made alive together with Christ. And it's by grace that you have been saved. Notice how important this concept of grace is, the grace of God. We, we have in, uh, in both chapter 1 of Ephesians and chapter 2, this mention of grace, by grace you have been saved. And here we have the Apostle Paul then revisiting this grace yet again in verse 8. Because here he's emphasizing, don't forget, God's grace. It's by God's grace that you're saved. It's not by our works. It's by God's grace. Here we have also that Jesus was raised from the dead. There in verse 6, and raised us up with him. So first, Jesus was raised from the dead. And the significance for Jesus is that if Jesus died on the cross and he remained in the grave, it would have proven that he was a sinner. If he didn't rise, it would have shown, oh, he remained dead. It shows that he was justly deserving of death, and it proves that he's a sinner. But the truth is that death could not contain Jesus, for he is perfect in holiness and without sin so that we have in Jesus a perfect Savior. God raised him up according to the working of his great might, the same power that is at work in you. So the significance for you is that Christ's death and his resurrection is on behalf of his people, that he was delivered over because of our transgressions, and he was raised because of our justification. That's Romans 4.25. That no man is justified by works, but rather by faith in Jesus Christ through his blood that was shed on the cross. That by his blood, we as sinners are washed whiter than the snow. Here, Christ was raised from the dead, but yet Christ is also raised to the heavenly places. We see that in, in our passage, but also in Philippians 2.9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That God highly exalted Jesus. That Jesus ascended to heaven. That Christ was raised to the heavenly places. And this refers to the honor that Jesus receives. Here, we also are raised. And we also are honored with Jesus. Keep in mind here that the Resurrection to new life 
and honor that we receive, it's never on our own. It's never because we've earned it. It's always with Jesus. So though we are lowly and rejected and despised by the world, you are raised and exalted and honored with Christ. So we think about the the things that we think we need in this life, that oftentimes people are fighting for respect. They're fighting for a seat at the table. They're fighting for the honors of this life. Are you seeking and laboring for and longings for the honors of this world? Realize that you already have the greatest honor, eternal honor, for you are seated with Christ, that you are raised with Him. There is no greater honor than that. That when God honors a person, it doesn't matter who dishonors Him. That if you're honored with Christ because you are raised with Christ, there's nothing that you're lacking. Consider what the right response to this is. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if you've been raised with Christ, this is true for you, then you and I should be seeking the things that are above, not the things that are here on earth. Perhaps some of you are wondering here. There is this uh, famous statement about people who are heavenly minded. Oh, that guy, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Well, we can address that. Those who have their hopes and their longings and their desires, their value and their treasure on earth. Jesus makes a judgment about them. He says that those people will be no earthly good. But those who are heavenly minded, whose thoughts are above and not on this earth, that Jesus says that they are earthly good. Earthly good for Christ's kingdom and his purpose. So may we be less focused on accomplishing our own goals, our own desires. Uh, Instead, that we should be thinking about Christ's kingdom and his righteousness. And that all of these things are provided for us, even being raised and honored with Jesus Christ. So this is the first point, raised with Christ. We have the second point, reigning with Christ. In the second half of verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here we think about the significance of a seat. So we have the seat, and the seat symbolizes a few things. For Jesus, it symbolizes a seat of rest. So people sit down when their work is done, and it's a seat of rest. We have that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 13. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. 
here, this sitting down for Jesus is symbolic of his rest. That the earthly priests, the Levitical priests, that they offered repeatedly the same sacrifices which never could take away sins. They were merely reminders that a true sacrifice is needed. And that Jesus, when he came and died on the cross, were told in this single sacrifice that he paid for all time the sins of his people. And that he sat down at the right hand of God, symbolic of his rest, that his work is complete, that what he came to do, he accomplished, paying the price uh, of sin for his people, setting us free from the bondage to sin and death. So sitting down is symbolic of this rest. You and I have true rest in Jesus Christ, for there is no working for our salvation, that you and I cannot achieve it because of our own demerits and sins. None of our merits can cover for those past sins, that we have demerits on us. We have our own sins, and they must be paid for eternally. Here, we have Jesus who already fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf. And that you are called to believe this free offer of the gospel. We lack righteousness. But he provides that righteousness. And he says, receive it by faith. And that we ought to receive his sacrifice. His death, his resurrection was on our behalf. You and I must believe that he was raised to life. That we might be justified before God. That he indeed is the one who sets us free. This seat is also a seat of victory. In Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Here, this is the description about a seat of victory, that Jesus sat down because he indeed is victorious. That when Jesus died on the cross, that he defeated Satan and death, and that you and I are already victorious in Jesus Christ. Here, the most significant meaning of this seat has to do with a seat of power and authority. This is the, the very meaning behind our common usage of chair. When you think about a, a chairman of the board, Right, or a chairman of a committee, or in a college or university, you have department chairs, that this is someone who exercises power and authority. And for Christians, uh, this, this is reigning with Jesus Christ, that Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he reigns from on high. And we're told that we are seated with him, in the heavenly places, that we are reigning alongside of him, that this is the whole significance about having, uh, having us seated with him in the heavenly places, that we are also reigning with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul reasons with the believers there in Corinth that they've, they've had lawsuits where you have Christians who are suing other Christians and they're bringing these matters before, uh, before unbelieving judges. And he rebukes them, saying, Or do you not know 
that the saints will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So part of reigning with Christ is that we will be judging even angels. And how much more so are we reigning with him that we can judge matters in this life? So this idea of God has seated us with him in the heavenly places. Part of being seated with Christ in the heavenly places and reigning with Jesus, it means that you and I are no longer under the reign of Satan. We cannot both be under the rule of Satan and reigning with Jesus. It's either one or the other. So the fact that we are reigning with Jesus in heaven, we're seated with him in the heavenly places, means that we are no longer under the dominion of Satan. Yet, perhaps you've noticed also, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, compared to Ephesians 2, verse 6, that the difference between us and Jesus is that Jesus is, as, is at God's right hand in the heavenly places, when for believers we're told that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. What's lacking there in that description is that we are not at God's right hand. It's because Jesus has a unique seat. He alone has that power and authority. But we are seated with him. Do you desire greater responsibility, greater power and authority? Have those in the past abused their power against you? Have others lorded it over you? And do you want to get even? Or better yet, do you want to get ahead? Understand that one can struggle and fight in this life, in this world, to get power and authority over others. But I ask you, what greater authority can you have than to reign with Jesus for an eternity? This longing, this desire is fully satisfied by this truth that you and I are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus and that we will reign with him for an eternity. May this transform your desires, your goals, and your aspirations even in this life. So this is the second point, reigning with Christ. We have the third point, relishing Christ in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so here we have uh, the answer to the question of why. We have it in the beginning part of verse, verse 7. So that. So this phrase addresses the matter of God's purpose, his design. That God's design uh, for us is that we uh, would give him glory. That his grace would bring glory to himself. We see that same concept mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. 
He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To the praise of his glorious grace. God's desire, God's design, uh, God's purpose in, in raising us up and seating us with Christ in the heavenly places is so that he would receive glory, honor, and praise. And this would be for an eternity. <clears throat> so we look at the what. What is God desiring? That God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here, salvation is either based on God's grace or it's based on your works. <clears throat> and having even one sin against you eliminates the possibility that salvation would be based upon works. So salvation cannot be based on a combination of grace and works because otherwise grace would no longer be grace. God's grace is exceedingly great. It's his exceedingly great favor that he lavished on you uh, when instead you rightly earned his wrath. That's how we define grace. You rightly earned his wrath, but instead he gives you his exceedingly great and lavish favor. For you, salvation cannot be earned, but is entirely of God's grace. It's a gift, and no gift is earned. Gifts are given, and they're received. Now, when? When will we experience? When will we have this? In verse 7, we're told... <clears throat> that in the coming ages. So many people ask the question, well, what is this referred to? What are the what are the coming ages? Well, the answer, the simple answer is all future time. So this includes not only eternity, but it includes uh, the the life that we live here. So the life that we have until Jesus returns and then for an eternity after Jesus returns that we might come to know the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that it would be in the rest of our lives and for an eternity that we would enjoy and understand his grace. We see that in Ephesians 1.21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So when, when we have here in the coming ages, it's not only in this age, but the one to come. <clears throat> That's why it's a plural. Not, not in the coming age, but rather the coming ages. <clears throat> so this eternity then is an eternity of enjoying God's grace, but it also refers to our present, our, our near future. That in your life, as you mature in Christ, that God's desire is that you would come to a greater appreciation and understanding of his grace and his favor. It's not as if uh, God's grace was in any way lacking or insufficient. You know, a simple, a simple way to explain this is when you think about when you first came to know Christ. Your confession was probably something as simple as, yes, I am a sinner. And as you mature in Christ, you came to a greater understanding of that. Not only are you confessing, I am a sinner, but you're confessing, I am a great sinner. I am a sinner who is greatly in need of God's grace. 
May we come to understand that all the more. And we look forward to our eternity when we will never stop giving thanks and praise for his immeasurable riches and kindness to us. Now, when we think about what we'll be doing in heaven, shouldn't that affect what we should do now in our lives? The answer is it should. How should we respond to God showing us his immeasurable riches of his grace? That there first ought to be an overwhelming sense of gratitude towards God. The very lives that we live now, our obedience to him, our giving him praise, our worship of him, these are all expressions of our overwhelming gratitude to God. There's also simply the matter of savoring the grace of God. That we come to a greater understanding. Lord, you have shown me your grace. That there's nothing that I'm lacking in my life. There's nothing that I seek to achieve. There's nothing uh, that, that, that makes up for this lack. Because this is our all-encompassing, our all-fulfilling desire. That Jesus, you've shown us your grace. And, and that God, we have a place at the table. That we have a seat. We're seated in the heavenly places. And that we are relishing with Jesus Christ. Here also, regarding God's kindness. God is the one who defines kindness. And he demonstrate this, demonstrated this kindness in sending his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die on behalf of sinners. May you and I be those who extends, extend God's kindness by speaking the truth in love. This truth about God's immeasurable riches in Jesus Christ. That may we do so in love. May we do so with gentleness, with, with humility. That we would speak to others about our hope in Jesus Christ. That we all have a seat at the table with Jesus. That we all are raised up new. That we are no longer the same. That we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. May this be good news to you indeed. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you that you indeed are one who has made us anew. Father, we thank you that whatever we lack in this life, it's not because it was in any way an insufficiency in your gift to us. For Father, your grace is sufficient for us. And Father, we thank you that you have raised us up with Christ, that you have seated us with him in the heavenly places, and that we might for an eternity, beginning now, marvel at the greatness of your grace. We pray, Father, for your people, that we would meditate upon this each day of our lives. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.